This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode. Today, we're going to cover something similar to the last episode. The last episode, I talked about how to drop a deal, how to do it wisely, how to do it uh, and, and get some benefit out of it. Today, we're going to talk about how to keep a deal going when the seller's defaulting or to how to get the best out of a seller default. And what I mean here is sometimes a seller, and I've, I've, I mean, I've seen this happen this year six or seven times, several on our own projects and several for clients where the seller gets cold feet and where the seller gets a better offer or the seller wants to be difficult. And I've had that, I've told you some stories, some of my other deals where my binding LOI was helpful in tying up a deal and get it to contract. but. I'm talking about now in this in this episode, even beyond that, where you're at contract and the seller just doesn't perform. They don't perform sometimes by not providing the due diligence materials. You know, and, and sometimes you need these due diligence materials in order to get a loan. You may need to get the financials. You may need to enter the property and inspect the park owned homes. You may need, you know, all kinds of stuff. And this, if the seller is difficult, then it, and it just becomes harder and harder to to close. And sometimes the seller will misrepresent, and that's a default. It's really important when you have a contract that there are seller representations and warranties and seller deliverables. And then you want to make sure that the the remedies of default are, are crystal clear. You should also have, frankly, cure periods. You know, like a notice default, for example, seller does not is supposed to deliver all of the due diligence items in exhibit D within five days and they don't do it. Okay, well, you need to put them in notice default. Um, or in my contract, it actually says that the inspection period tolls or extends day by day until I get all those items. But sometimes you still have to put them in notice default. And for example, I can say you didn't deliver the three years financial statements. They typically have a right to cure since say 10 days. So the, def- there's, the contract should be clear as to what the notice requirement is, like email, personal service, USPS, um, FedEx, uh, et cetera, uh, or some combination. Really, that's up to you guys negotiating the contract. But then the seller should have a right to, to cure. If they don't cure, then they're in, they're in default. Well, then what? Well, the answer is it depends. I mean, it part, it's going to depend on what your contract says, but also it's going to depend on what the default is, how material it is. If you can still proceed anyway, I've had sellers default and I still closed. I've had sellers default and I couldn't close because I just couldn't, they wouldn't give me access to Parkland Homes, for example. Like I can't go knock on the doors and say, let me in. The seller changes his or her mind. Why do they change their mind? A lot of times it's because they realize I don't want to sell. It's, you know, seller's remorse. Or perhaps somebody else has got a bigger, better price. So one deal of mine recently, well, it's been, it's been four or five months. We were under contract. I don't remember the price. I want to say it was a million two. And this this property was in Arkansas and it had a uh, treatment plant. It also had a well water system. But the treatment plant, the seller said, was in need of repair. And as a result, he bought a backup system and he had it on site. And he, he bought it for a deal 
for 300 grand cash. I'm like, why do you have to pay 300 grand for backup? He's like, because you can't ever find them for sale at that kind of price. So I got it on hand. So we then uh, put in the put in the binding LOI that we get the right to buy the park and all equipment, tools, personal property, et cetera, on site as of the day of the LOI. Well, this guy, he's an old man, decided later he didn't want to sell. I think because he didn't want to have tax consequences from his um, from the sales. So if he let it let it basically descend to his heirs, then they would get a step up in basis. They wouldn't have to pay as much taxes. So he didn't want to sell. Well, where we goofed was we didn't specifically call out the treatment plan and make him represent and warrant the treatment plan, the backup treatment plan was on site. Because as it turns out, upon inspection, it was not on site. And it was off site somewhere else. So we technically didn't have it as part of the collateral package or the purchase package uh, in our LOI. And then he refused to sign the contract because he didn't want to sell anymore. Now, my LOI was binding, so I could make him buy in theory, but. I make him buy without the $300,000 packaging plan, which then obviously told me that the existing packaging plant was failing. So at my purchase price of $1.2 million, it wasn't that good a deal anymore. So I didn't really want to buy it, but it felt like he misrepresented. He wasn't producing documents. He let us come to his office, but didn't give us copies of everything, didn't let us uh, fully evaluate, didn't produce uh, some of the documentation, leases, et cetera. He was required in his case as part of the purchase price to send out a rent increase, um, which he'd been trying to do for years and years and never did. He was way below market rent. The market rent was like $400 in this uh, this little hot market of Arkansas. And he was like 225 And he was going to increase it. Never did. So that was a stipulation. Well, then he, he refused to do it. We couldn't do it with our, with you know, as the buyer in, in waiting. We didn't have a tenant. We didn't have lessor rights at that time. We could have done it post-closing, but then we were going to basically miss our first rent increase and have to wait another 60 or 90 days. I don't remember what the statutory timeline was for this state, but it wasn't as good a deal and he was being overly paid. So he said, I'm not closing. I'm not signing, I'm not closing. So what we did, this is one of the default remedies and it's kind of implied and it depends on the state, but we filed a lien on the property. And we filed an affidavit of interest. And this affidavit of interest says, look, we have a right to buy. And we notify the rest of the world, including, you know, basically we'll put it on record with the county recorder deeds so that title companies will find it and he can't really sell it without us. Now, typically a seller breach will have either damages like liquidated damages. Sometimes you could try for punitive or consequential damages. You should probably never sign a contract with that. As the buyer, you want your damages to be limited to solely the loss of your earnest money. And as a buyer, you never want to agree to specific performance. But the seller should have to agree to specific performance. So our contract, our LOI, has specific performance. That means that in this case where the old man didn't want to close, we can sue him and make him specifically perform, meaning sell us the contract. Now, in our case, he sells the deal. He had to, he'd sell us the deal at, at a price that we were no longer that comfortable paying. And retrading price, based on some of his misrepresentations, was really out of the out of the cards because he's like, whatever, you're going to walk, go ahead, walk. Normally you'd retrade, say, look, you guys misrepresented. It's not worth as much. I need a hundred thousand dollar discount or I'm out. In his case, he's like, then just be out, go away. But we didn't want him to get away that easily. So we leaned the property. Um, some states that suspect their specific record recording requirements, sometimes they have to have a local attorney do it. And there's, and, um, you have to have certain language in the contract or certain language, um, in some sort of ancillary recording document. We frankly, he didn't know that. 
So we like we're like, hey man, we're not going away. We're going to file a lien. We've got we had about nine thousand dollars of cost. Now in this case, we actually wanted to drop the deal because he wasn't going to provide the packaging plan because he wouldn't send the rent increase, and because we did some market research, talked to some brokers, and we we thought the cap rates in this town were going to be six and a half to seven. This was really a nice park, uh, clubhouse, you know, pool room, swimming pool, lake. 50 mh 25 rv room to expand we really liked we were at a seven cap which we thought was a reasonable price you know more than i would generally like to pay especially with private utilities but it had some upgrade some upside on rents and all this well turns out this particular market broker said no these deals are selling at like eight caps eight and a half caps even in today's market which was kind of alarming so our exit strategy was not gonna be as good as we thought so we weren't as jones about you know doing this work and paying for paying for what I call a single. We wanted a double, triple, or homer. So we, we were going to drop the deal. Uh, the guy had defaulted. So we said, look, you're in default. We can make you buy. His attorney said, you're right. He is, but he doesn't want to sell. He's an old man. Leave him alone. We said, tell you what, we've got 9000 in cost. And if you give us $9,000, we'll go away. And he said, fine. And he gave us a check for $9,000. So it was pretty cool. Um, a deal we were going to walk away from, we got paid $9,000, uh, which is not life-changing amount of money, but it was better than losing 9000 And it felt pretty good. And then and a lot of that in that 9000 was if we bill our own time and things like that. Like I didn't actually pay legal fees. I just allocated the amount of legal fees and time that I had in it. And I would have otherwise made that money, my opportunity cost, right? Um, so it worked out. Uh, other times, the seller does not want to sell no matter what. And in reality is it's because he's he's realized that he's got a more valuable property than he thought. Recently I had a client, they run a contract for about $2 million. And the interesting thing here is they may not have actually been able to get a loan, um, in part because the seller wasn't cooperating, in part because the timeline was aggressive. And and I don't I don't honestly don't know if their goal in this was the wholesale from the outset or if they were buyers, closers. Uh, first time working with this client, so I didn't really know. Don't really have a good feel for what their portfolio is. But I know I know they found a park that was, they, they found a deal. And some other buyers, some other brokers were contacting the seller post-execution of the contract. And, and they were giving him bigger numbers. So he wanted my client to go away. We were filing a lien on the property. We were not going away. We put him in a notice of default. And we told him he had to specifically perform. And because he had delays, he had to give us more time for our due diligence, more time for financing, more time for our closing, et cetera. And the guy just wanted us to go away. And ultimately, my client decided that, you know, making some money now was better than going through litigation to see if they could actually get the property through specific performance because it's not a guarantee. Um, I ran into one of those where it was not a guarantee because the the seller was upside down on the property and there was a loan higher than the purchase price and therefore there was no equity so we couldn't just make him perform because you did there'd still be a lien on the property so we'd have to pay the purchase price plus pay off the lender in this case the guy, guy filed bankruptcy which further complicates it and puts a stay on some of these things so specific performance is not the holy grail but it's as close as you can get so you need to have it in your account when you're buying and in our case with the recent with the client on a two million dollar deal it ends up um, the legal fees kept growing on this one, to be honest, because they kept going back and forth and lots of retrading. So it ended up being like seven or $8,000 in legal fees. We got the seller to pay our legal fees and pay my client $100,000 to go away. So 
pretty much a wholesale fee without ever having to find the buyer or take the risk of not being able to close. And the key was we had specific reps and warranties in the contract and we had specific performance and we were able to hold their feet to the fire. So when they're in default, specific performance is the best. It's hard to get punitive damages or consequential damages, um, but that's important to have the specific performance in there. Another recent deal with a client, again, a first time client, apartment guy um, getting into the MHP space, uh, pursued a big deal in the Southeast, uh, north of 10 million. And it was a competitive deal. So the brokers and sellers required firm or hard or non-refundable earnest money right out of the gate. And it was like 150,000. I think it was 250,000 EMD and then 150 was firm, meaning meaning gone. And that was what it was going to take. Well, we weren't comfortable with that. And we told my client, I told my client, you, you got to agree to some outs. You know, for example, what if this thing fails a phase one environmental? That's not your fault at all. You should get your money back. And especially if the seller knows it's going to fail a phase one environmental because it failed five times already. That would be fraud if he, if he had any reps or warranties. But in the, from the beginning, there was no reps and warranties. It was none of this. That's just the way it is. We didn't care for that at all, obviously. So we were able to negotiate um, a number of outs, one of which was a representation from the seller that he was unaware of any sewer or water system failures. And if the water or sewer system failed inspection or the phase one failed inspection, that we got to cancel the deal and get our earnest money back. And if there was a misrepresentation by the seller, we could receive up to $200,000 of our due diligence cost paid by the seller. So what happened? We did the inspections, hired a third-party professional to do all the inspections. The sewer system, water system was a complete nightmare. I mean, it was, it was, it was a million-dollar problem. And we called local plumbers and asked for a bid. One of them said, million-plus if you get all the trailers out of the way so I can do the work. The other two plumbers said, we know that park, been out there before, huge nightmare, worst we've ever seen. We're not even going to bid it. To which we were like, hmm, does the seller not know there's a problem? Because all the local plumbers seem to know. I wonder who called them. I wonder who he tried to hire to fix it previously. And the seller was bleeding water like crazy. And his, ironically, well, not ironically, but disgustingly, his wastewater pipe and his drinking water pipe were in the same uh, pit. And they were cracked and leaking into one another. So some of these people were literally drinking their own feces and the feces of their neighbor. So really crappy deal, pun intended. And we we dropped the contract and said, we want to earn some money back. This failed. Seller and their attorney said, you're right. It, it failed inspection and they released the, the earnest money from the title company. And then we had, we had a lot of due diligence costs with this third party reporting company, with phase one, with surveys, with legal, travel. Um, you know, north of 50 grand. And we demanded that from seller. And of course, now seller's like, well, no, I didn't misrepresent. I had no idea. These plumbers must have been, I had a third party property manager for a while. They must have been the ones that hired, hired these plumbers. I didn't know any better, which of course is a lie. And and that's where we're currently on this one. I can't get into too much detail because it's an open matter, but we've hired local counsel and we're going to, we're going to win. We're going to litigate it. It's probably going to settle because that's how most lawsuits work, but it's crystal clear that there's a huge problem and it's been going on for years and years. And this guy was trying to dump it onto the next fool. 
And the key here was our contract was very well drafted. And it, it, even, in a, even in a competitive bidding environment where the broker said, nope, firm, hard money, no exceptions, we were able to get some exceptions. And it turns out those saved $150,000 and counting. So uh, it's important to know your rights, to know how to execute them, to know how you're after, to know what to negotiate for pre-contract so that post-contract, if the other party defaults, you're in a position to win. My dad always said, put yourself in a position to win. And in this business, we do it by having appropriate and expertly drafted legal documents. Till next time, God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.